Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. I'm with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, among other places. Uh, Eric, what's going on, man? How are you holding up? <laughs> hey, uh, not too much. Is that the answer we're all giving? Uh, it's, it's true for me. Uh, uh, yeah, hey, I've been, uh, I've been, all, I was all in on the basketball tournaments. I watched every single game of that. So good. I've so been watching, good. I've been watching, you know, more soccer than I than I ever uh, <laughs> ever would normally in a non World Cup year. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah, very much enjoyed some of the uh, uh, some of the Bundesliga, some of the some of the Premiership League. Now the MLS. I, I actually love how the MLS looks, like the uh, just the way that those fields look. I, I I'm all in on that bubble. So that's uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's what's going on. Still watching any sort. I, I mean, I've even watched UFC, which has been a very long time <laughs> for me to do that. But hey, if it's if it's live, I'm I'm going to watch it. So uh, uh, that's what's going on. Still, you know, grinding through a, a few articles of Gator Country, and uh, yeah, just uh, uh, been excited for for the next podcast. So I'm glad we can uh, sit down and do this. Yeah, man, it's gonna be good. I, I, I you know, other than uh, much to the chagrin of of our buddy Nick De La Torre, I, I think I think the the UFC is like that's like where I've drawn the line, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, definitely more Bundesliga than I ever watched. Uh, you know, the MLS is back tournament has been interesting. The people at Disney know what they're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, man, the basketball tournament, like it was so nice to have some basketball and the NBA will be back in a couple weeks. So. Hey, can we uh, can we just start talking? Start this podcast talking about how we do need a Florida alumni team in the TBT um, or TBT, I should say. Uh, it's yeah. just time. I mean, I I'd be lying if I wasn't like going through my head of like, hey, who are the reasonable guys? Like, obviously, like you no, know, Brad Bradley Beal's not playing. Um, Al Horford's not playing. But I was trying to think of like the the reasonable guys. Like, hey, Canyon Barry, who does three three x three, he's a guy who'd be uh, in the mix, like for something like that. Kayvon Allen. Uh, you know, will you get uh, Casey Prather? Those are, like when you look at the guys that uh, were playing in TBT this Irving year. Irving Walker, um, bro. Irving Walker, yeah. Kenny Boyd <laughs> played last year. <laughs> uh, yeah. hey, there's there's guys that. Uh, um, uh, hey, there's there's guys that I think I think you could feel the squad. And I mean, uh, I also think when you uh, one thing I thought was like, I mean, it is what it is. This has always been the case with TBT. There's like these alumni teams. Like obviously there was the, the Illinois team and. Uh, and the Marshall team, and and you know, there's a couple key guys that were alumni of that school, but like really, like most of those teams were like half alumni, um, half some other guys. Marquette was one of the who won the Golden Eagles. I mean, they're probably the team that had the most actual alumni. Um, I, I think Florida could put together a team that was like truly, truly just Gators, and I think it would be so cool. Yeah. And I think people would be all in. Um, yeah, I just think uh, you know s- someone needs to make that happen, and I think it'd be just so much fun to watch. Yeah, it'd be awesome. It's a it's a great idea, and they you know Florida just had with the decade that Florida just had, uh, you know five elite eights and a final four, a couple SEC championships. Like you're, they could probably put together a pretty good team pretty quick. So that's a great idea. I mean, Eric, I know Eric would be more than happy to to coach the team if they need a, <laughs> if they needed a head coach. Hey, general uh, manager, I'll big players to come i'll uh, yeah you know just uh just just need a little a little <laughs> interest or some players throw them throw them a bone but uh hey i i this was obviously the biggest year for tbt just because uh, it was the one thing on and it was um, <laughs> i thought they just didn't well and, and i mean it was excellent basketball and i thought that they they did everything super well in the broadcast and and keeping everyone safe so hey there's lots of eyes on it there's got to be some gators who are like hey man we need to we need to get in on this and uh yeah it's it's time next year let's say it, it's time 
Yeah, I love the, um, you know, I, I love the way it ended too. I mean, you couldn't have drawn up a, a better ending for the whole for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah having the uh, the uh, older white guy shooter in the corner. I hit the game game winner there for uh, for Marquette was just or the Golden Eagles was just uh, just awesome. And uh, hey Neil, do you have any quick takes on the Elam ending? I'm actually while we're talking TBT, uh, you know, every basketball conversation these days needs to have uh, some kind of conversation on the Elam ending. So do you have do you have takes? So my only take on it is that I love it in the basketball tournament, and I, I what I don't think I I don't think I'd like it in college that much because I feel like the game is too unpredictable. Um, as it is, um, you know, I just think, especially in this era where like last season, there just weren't any elite teams. Right. Um, and we didn't get to see that play out in the NCAA tournament, but there really wasn't any team that was particularly dominant. Um, I thought it was a pretty wide open NCAA tournament had it been played. And I wonder if, if, you know, I feel like the Elam ending kind of creates that element of unpredictability, Eric, I mean, you know, so to me, like, you know where I'd like to see it maybe trialed and it'll never happen. I don't think, cause I don't think the owners would do it, but I think the players might be into it actually. Like people are always like, Oh, the players union would never, I don't think that's true. I'd love to see it for like 20 games in an NBA regular season. Like these 20 games, we will use the Elam ending and just see kind of what happens. Yeah, that'd be insane. That'd be crazy. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, they've dabbled with it in the summer league. They've talked about dabbling with it in the, in the G league. I don't know if they, they have yet or not, but uh, yeah, the, the, uh, you know, the, the Canadian league is using it for their, they're just getting together a tournament bubble tournament. Uh, they're going to try it. So I'll be interested to watch a bit more. Um, I'm not a fan of the Elam ending, just to be honest. <laughs> I don't, I don't have like a visceral hatred for it, which uh, sure. some people do. Uh, it's still, it's still basketball to me and, and the best team usually wins despite the, the unpredictability. So I think it's awesome. It like would be awesome for an AAU tournament or something like the, sure. the basketball tournament where, you know, you want games to kind of finish in their, in their time window. Uh, but yeah, just generally speaking, I'm, I'm not a fan of it actually being used in, uh, uh, it, I don't want to say real basketball. That sounds condescending, but yeah, I just, you know, I would not want to see it in college. Would not want to see it in the NBA. Uh, yeah, it's a cool thing for when you're doing uh, TBT and you've got all these games back to back to back. Um, I, I, I get it, and uh, it kind of contributes to the uniqueness of it. But uh, I, I will not be uh, will not be advocating for it to be put in it uh, at higher levels of basketball. <laughs> um, one thing that has been slowly put in at higher levels of basketball again, kind of a uh, let's get back to to the old school. Um, you know, is is Princeton offense kind of made a little bit of a comeback? Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see teams in the NBA exclusively running it like like Eddie Jordan tried to do. I think it was Eddie Jordan, right, with the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but but I do think co- the concepts of that offense have been integrated back into NBA offenses a little more than than we're used to, and and. Uh, you wrote a really good article about about uh, Florida's use of some of the Princeton concepts and and something that, that Mike White pushed back about whether or not Florida was running Princeton offense, and he said uh, no. But but you know all you have to do is watch the film to see that certainly they were borrowing heavily from concepts of the Princeton offense, particularly the two series, um, a point series. 
and the Chen series, uh, which is two, you know, kind of branches of Princeton offense. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit because, you know, what did Florida do to integrate those things into their offense last year from, from the research and work that video work that you did. And then I guess the secondary thing we can talk about, Eric is, is what that will look like next season with Florida's personnel a little different. Uh, well, I think that uh, really the groundwork is really late last season uh, or, you know, 2018, 2019, uh, because that's really when they, they started to use it. And uh, to be honest, they actually did it a lot more. Uh, they actually used a lot more complex versions of the offense two years ago versus this past season. And uh, I, I thought that was pretty interesting, truthfully, because uh, you, you got to see a lot more variation. I think maybe part of that was because. Uh, the thing about the, the point series, what they normally use this past year, uh, that means that the ball was in Kerry uh, Blackshear's hands for a lot of the time, and he was kind of the primary decision maker. Uh, versus, like, if you do the true ch- chin series or a lot more of what Florida was doing uh, two years ago, uh, it, it's not as much uh, – it's it's the big man setting that chin screen, but then uh, he's not going to get – or if he gets the ball, he's sending it back to the opposite wing. Uh, or yeah, he's definitely used as just more of a, more of a screener and he's not a decision maker. So I really think that the groundwork was, was definitely like two seasons ago where Florida used the offense, but, uh, uh, honestly in a little bit more of a complex fashion. But then I think that this year, uh, where they really stuck with this, this point series mostly was because they wanted the ball in, in Kerry Blackshear's hands and they wanted him being a, him being a passer. They wanted him to have the opportunity to go one-on-one, which sometimes worked to a really good effect, but I, I don't think worked uh, as much as probably that Florida would have thought going into the season. Uh, and uh, when I say not as well as Florida might've thought, it also wasn't as good as I thought. I, I thought if Kerry Blackshear was getting the ball near the free throw line and was single covered, I, I thought he was going to be able to do a lot of damage. And uh, while we saw that in some t- points, we didn't always see it. And uh, I, I also think, yeah, when you've got, uh, when you've got Andrew Nemhart, uh, when you've got him, who's uh someone who in the half court is, is someone who is best uh, when quite methodical. When you've got Noah Locke, someone who kind of needs to have shots set up for him. He's not someone who's going to go get a bucket on his own. Uh, something like this, that's a little more structured is uh, um, yeah, it, it's kind of a natural thing for a team to go to. But one of the things that I, I did think that was really interesting uh, that I really wanted to kind of get through in the article was like, uh, it, it, I feel like a lot of the conversation was, you know, Mike White comes to Florida the, there's this dribble drive offense he wants to play and it's going to be freewheeling and players are going to have all kinds of freedom. And uh, then when that stopped happening and they pivoted, uh, and, and I think that probably I was guilty of this as, uh, as guilty as a lot of other people uh, were like, Hey, they went to the structured offense. Um, that was a lot more rigid. And like, while it is kind of more, like, it's definitely more structured than the dribble drive. Uh, there's still a lot of opportunity for players to be creative. And that's uh, Mm -hmm. why I talked so much about the split action, which is really the essence of the offense. And when it comes to split action, it's not, Hey, player one does, does this. And then this is the next step. And then this is the next step. It's, Hey, uh, this player reads the defense and decides what kind of screen he wants to set. And then the player getting the screen set for him decides whether he wants to deny the screen or use the screen or sit behind it. And uh, that was something that I, I also wanted to kind of, get across because there's uh, there are some people that, that are you know of the certain not a fan of Mike White demographic who thought that he uh, muzzled his team and made them play the identical style and, and kind of uh, took away a lot of their creativity and that wasn't the case because this offense was all about the split action where uh, where players could show creativity and, and every time 
uh, that it was Andrew Nemhard and Keontae Johnson coming together for that split action, there was some, some really good stuff happened. So that, that was one of the reasons I, I wanted to write it as well and, and point out the, the split action uh, was just to show that, you know, even though this was more structured than, than dribble drive, it, it still allowed players to make reads and be creative. Yeah, and, and it put a lot of pressure on, I think, Florida's smartest player. That split action puts a lot of pressure on your four, which usually for Florida was Keontae Johnson, who I think is, you know, probably Kerry Blackshear and Keontae Johnson last year and, and Andrew Nimhard get like tie 1A, 1B, 1C for like smartest basketball players. But there's a lot of demands placed on, on the four in that split action, right? The four always watches the defender. And if the defender starts to cheat over the screen that's usually set for the two or even the three sometimes um, it's the four that, that makes that charging cut to the basket. Florida doesn't use as many backdoor cuts as in a traditional Princeton offense. They're still using, you know, that cut to the basket and, and it allows a guy like Keontae to receive a pass from, from Kerry Blackshear. If he's got the touch or if it's Nimhard uh, penetrating, um, you know, so I thought that was one little adjustment that was pretty smart. Um, but I also thought Eric that, and really it's kind of two separate concepts and maybe I should just let you talk about my Keontae comment, but the other very brief kind of separate idea is I do think Florida simplified it a little bit last year too, because with a young team, you know, there was a lot of, of discussion. I remember Chris Harry saying that the staff was really dealing with the mistake the staff made with, with motion was that they did place a lot of read and react demands on players. And those guys really weren't ready for that yet. They, they kind of overthought on offense to begin the season. And I don't think they wanted to make it too complicated. Yeah, it's a great point. And there, there's no question they simplified it. Like I mentioned before, uh, they got a lot deeper into the, the kind of Princeton offense, the, the point series, especially the chin series yeah. uh, specifically. Uh, and yeah, they they just yeah they definitely got it got it simpler. And uh, hey, when you're making a, a hard pivot mid season to what offense you want to play, it's uh, uh, it makes sense why they they want to say like, hey, these are our basic concepts. Let's get the ball into the high post to one of our best offensive players in Kerry Blackshear, and let's go into a split action where we can put two of our other like you mentioned intelligent basketball players, Keontae Johnson and Andrew Nemhart most of the time. Uh, let's let uh, let's let them get into some two man action. Uh, play the split action and see if we can get uh, uh, Keontae Johnson kind of cutting towards the rim. Let's see if we can get uh, Andrew Nemhart fading back to the three-point line because teams have to be concerned with that Keontae Johnson curl. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. I, I, it, I, I like. There's, there's definitely a part of me that wishes they got more into other parts of the offense that we saw two years ago, uh, just because I, I think that there are better, you know, better, more interesting parts of the offense and. Uh, I, again, to just see that, like, again, Andrew Nemhard and Keontae Johnson were, were so good in those, those split actions. And I, I thought that they're, uh, uh, if they had the opportunity to get into, uh, to get into more of the, uh, more of the uh, conventional kind of chin stuff, you'd probably get a lot more, uh, a, a lot more of those back cuts that you mentioned that Florida didn't really get that you, they weren't really looking for, just not that they didn't get, they, they really, really weren't looking for them. Like, like you mentioned, right. um, a lot of the times that they got the, um, uh, you, yes, you look at traditional Princeton offense, there's a lot of uh, back screen or uh, or rip screens if you want to go into trendy NBA. Uh, there's your NBA dictionary <laughs> of, the, of the day. Uh, rip, you, uh, uh, you, uh, you get those kind of back cuts 
uh, or, or sorry, back screens into back cuts, where a lot of Florida's backdoor cuts came off guys rejecting screens. Because, yeah, once again, you, once Keontae Johnson was uh, curling off a number of, of screens, teams are going to really want to take that away. And then instead of curling, you just slit the screen and, and he got some backdoor cuts that way. So, uh, so yeah, it, it, uh, I think one of your initial questions, Neil, was like, hey, where does that leave us going into next season? Uh, it'll really be interesting because, hey, if they do want to play – dribble drive and they 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 have a playmaker at the at the point guard spot in, in Tyree Appleby who is someone who can get a shot one-on-one and and uh, get into the paint one-on-one and uh you probably hope if you're me or you're you that uh that Trey Mann is is going to take the step that we we think he can and and if he plays to what we think his potential is he's someone who can go one-on-one he's someone who can get dribble penetration he can attract help and he can get the ball moving and and create advantage situations so it will be interesting if Florida says looks at their guys and say like, "Hey, we we do have a, a roster that's a little bit more suited to dribble drive. Do we do that, or do uh, do they build off kind of the the building blocks of the Princeton that they that they laid last season?" Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting point. I'm gonna retweet um, the Eric did a video clip that that he tweeted in late June of of what some of Florida's Princeton concepts look like, particularly with. Uh, Nimbard and Keontae, but also some of the stuff that, that went through usually Kerry Blackshear, right, Eric? Um, yes. You know, and, and the other thing is that some of the stu- the concepts that Florida had that probably were installed for Kerry are, are less likely to be, you know, around with Omar Payne. So what does Florida do to kind of uh, work around that? And, and so, you know, I didn't know I was going to get into this, but it kind of came – to my head as, as Eric was talking, but, but the short version is, so I'm changing uh, programs myself and uh, opportunity to be basically an associate head coach and, and the title matters and the opportunity is good. So, uh, you know, leaving one great program and going to another one, is cool. But uh, one thing I've got to think about more now that I never really had to think about in my old job is offense. Uh, and I won't say never, but, less. I was more of a, a defensive coordinator type of, of coach. And, you know, with high school teams, you don't want to do things that are, that are terribly complicated. Uh, just be real honest with you, with, with our listeners. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we pretty much ran sort of a stack offense and just presented some options in it, but it was a pretty simplistic scheme. Uh, and then you just pour your, your time into fundamentals as high school coaches. Uh, but, but I really like, um, you know, I, and I think this is something, this is what kind of came. The reason I share that is because Eric talked about one of the consistent criticisms about, you know, white being either they don't run stuff. That's, that's like one subset or the other subset is when they do run stuff, they're too rigid in their demands. So they're almost like totally the opposite. Right. But, but I think some of that really does date back to Donovan and the fact that, like Duke, uh, Florida ran almost exclusively pick-and-roll actions under Billy Donovan, whether it was uh, the high ball screen pick-and-roll where you screen at the very top of the key or the side ball screen stuff that I think, Eric, you talked about when we did a Donovan show, right? Uh, um, some really innovative side ball screen, Euro screen stuff. Uh, they like to screen early in the shot clock. Uh, they like to rescreen. And, and they really, Donovan would recruit to utilize the strength of the player using the screen. In other words, um, if the screener could shoot the jumper, 
then that was great because you had a guy who was lethal on the pop out. That's why guys like Eric Murphy and Matt Bonner were all SEC type players. Um, so that plus, you know, guards that consistently could change speeds off the dribble. Um, were, were kind of staples of what Donovan recruited, and everything was recruited to a system. Now, I think a fair criticism of White is that we didn't necessarily see things recruited to that style, and I think it's a consistent critique that we've made on Florida Basketball Hour. But I bring this up to talk about my teams because I think there is a time for, for shifting and using more pick and roll, and next year, if Trey Mann takes the type of, of uh, development, that leap that we think he can take, uh, it, it's really going to be interesting to see if Florida's more pick-and-roll oriented uh, and much more effective off the pick-and-roll. Andrew Nimmark's percentages were not tremendous. I think Eric would agree with me on that. Um, then, then they were, uh, you know, that maybe these Princeton concepts, some of them that went through Kerry Black's year were replaced with, with different types of, of screen actions, especially if you use Keontae as a screener because he can pop out. He can also roll hard. Nobody attacks closeouts better, at least in the SEC. If you've seen five players in college basketball that attack closeouts better, tweet them at me, and we can argue about it. Um, you know, what, what do you think about that? Because like, I think that's an interesting thing, and it's something I'm looking at because I have now watched film of my new team. And I'll be frank. I don't know if my players are as good. God, I hope they're not listening. Um, <laughs> but they're definitely more athletic. Now I hope my other players aren't listening. <laughs> hey, here's something that I, I thought you might have been leading into when you talked about a criticism of White, but it's something that I think is relevant here. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, about my coaching here. Uh, so, what is the other criticism of, of White's teams? They play too slow. Do I think yeah. that that's a fair criticism? Uh, I, I don't, because hey, let's look at the best offenses in the country. Many of them play slow and methodically. So, uh, being efficient is just so much more important. Like, actually, not even more for, uh, important. Uh, being efficient is everything about offense. And if you can do it fast, then great. That's that's awesome. Um, if you can do it slow, that's uh, that seems to be what has gotten teams better offensively recently. Playing. Uh, making teams defend for much of the shot clock. If you make teams defend multiple actions, there's more chances that defenses are going to uh, bend and then break, and then you can score on them. Um, that's something that uh, you see in the slower, longer shot clock college game than you do in the NBA. But what what I'm getting at is, uh, actually, I've, I've loved the Princeton offense. I thought, hey, if you want to uh, really make high school defenses struggle, uh, put them in split action. Make them, uh, make them try to defend split action. That's something that high school kids are not used to doing. Uh, but here's the thing with me, Neil. Uh, we play the 24-second shot clock here in Canada mm. with the 14-second reset. We play, uh, you know, it's 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 actually it's modern basketball here. I know some states are, are not. Yeah, uh, we have no I shot clock in Florida. Uh, for, for yeah, those it might, hey, it must be. Yeah, it must must be tough for you guys. You know, playing with no lights on and uh, getting getting the ball to the peach basket. That's <laughs> so I know it's a little bit behind the no. I'm just, uh, but uh, yeah, mm. so we so that's the thing is uh, is the Princeton is not a fast offense, and uh, that's something that I've thought about when I'm like, hey, I want. I'd love to coach the Princeton. I, I don't think it's the best uh, for my FIBA 24-second shot clock. And uh, I, I don't think if Florida really, really wants to play fast, I, I don't know if Princeton is, is the best, uh, the best, uh, the offense for that. But at the same time, I really want to preface that with saying, like, I do, like, I do not totally care about how fast Florida plays. I, I do think that um, there's actually, Neil, I actually had a listener question um, that it may, will maybe come up later uh, regarding why I do think Florida should play a little bit faster. And, and I do think Florida should play 
uh, somewhat faster. I don't think they need to be in the top 50 or, or top 25 of, of tempo. Uh, but uh, what's most important is them being efficient. And if they think they can get buckets out of, uh, out of the Princeton offense better than other offense, then absolutely they should stick with it. Uh, but hey, I, I think when you've got Tyree Appleby, someone just so creative offensively, uh, you're definitely going to want to you're definitely going to want to see what he can do with ball screens and, and give him those opportunities. Uh, Trey Mann as well. You know, Trey Mann was someone whose numbers were quite poor as a pick and roll ball handler uh, last year. But uh, I think that with a lot of things with Trey Mann, you don't look at what he did as a freshman. You look you look at his potential, and I think that I think that uh, you also uh, you know Kerry Blackshear he was a role threat because he could get the ball in the short roll and make something happen. He's also so wide that if he caught the ball anywhere near the rim, uh, he, he was just so hard to block his shot. He just, it's like he got off the, the ground that, uh, that quickly or got off that high. Uh, he was just, uh, he, it was just tough to block his shot when uh, his shoulders and his frame was so wide. And, right. uh, but Hey, with Omar Payne, you've got a lob threat, which you haven't had since Kavarius Hayes. And we saw Kavarius Hayes who didn't have a lot of offensive skills he was still someone who's really effective as a role man because of his vertical spacing and his ability to go up and grab a lob. So when, you, with you, when you've got Omar Payne doing that uh, and you've got someone like Tyree Appleby, uh, yeah, I think you've got to obviously make a very close look at uh, uh, at, at playing some, some ball screen heavy offense, which is, uh, you know, what we see from uh, most teams in, in modern basketball. Yeah, you know, another, another thing that Florida might be able to do just with the talented type of wing defenders that they're going to have uh, next season, which would be a little different than than uh, than Princeton, and I, a little diff by a little different. Really, I should have said significantly different. <laughs> uh, is is some more transition offense, and maybe even like Frank Martin T game offense, or just sort of an old school uh, three forwards type offense that can be used versus man or zone, and it places a really heavy emphasis on attacking off ball reversals. Um, and what you do is is you'll have your two guards. You're going to put three players almost in like a picket fence type line in the high post, uh, one at the bottom and one towards the corner. That would probably be Scotty Lewis, uh, Eric. Um, and once the ball is reversed, those three players are kind of interchangeable. Um, it doesn't really matter. You know, they're, they're essentially positionless. Uh, I don't know how necessarily much they would do that with Omar Payne on the floor, although, like Eric said, because he's a lob threat and he's a little more mobile like Kavarius Hayes, you know, I think it's certainly possible. Uh, but if they play like a Daruji Johnson-Lewis thing, I think that's an opportunity to go faster uh, and attack off ball reversals. Any thoughts on, on that concept? Hey, I mean, attacking off ball reversals is something that's pretty, uh, pretty universal to whatever offense you, you, you want to play. And, and something that just uh, really just came to my memory as you were talking about that. I, I don't recall which game it was. It was this year, early in the season, when Florida was still trying to play the dribble drive. Uh, so it was probably, you know, one of the first couple weeks of the season. And things were not going well offensively at all. And I remember on the TV broadcast, uh, it cut to a huddle. And, uh, and Mike White is just like a little exasperated talking to his guys. And uh, one thing he says is like, we need to be attacking closeouts. Like what he was kind of getting at was like in, in this dribble drive offense, it's not about take a dribble, stare down your man uh, and start and start putting together dribble combinations and, and, and blow by him. Uh, that's not what he's looking to do. It's get that ball reversed. And when your guy has to close out to you because he's coming from a help position to then having to guard the ball, that means the defender is moving his feet. Uh, you need to attack that guy. You need to attack him while his feet are moving. Uh, that's what Mike White was saying. And, 
Uh, obviously something that the team never, you know, super grasped super well, uh, but it's something that's just so fundamental to whatever, whatever style of basketball you want to play. If the ball gets moving side to side uh, and you can attack, uh, you can attack off that reversal because the defender is sliding his feet, going from a help position to, to an on ball defensive position, uh, that's going to be super important. So, uh, Hey, especially if you, if you have the opportunity for, you know, Keontae Johnson, he's going to be more athletic than 99% of the players guarding him. If he can attack a closeout, good night, uh, game over. Scotty Lewis, with some improved ball handling, uh, he should be he should thrive in those scenarios. Um, Anthony DeRuji playing the four. Hey, if they even want to play him at the five, like, uh, same thing. You get the ball reversed to him, and he can attack a closeout off a of ball reversal. Uh, that's going to be effective. So I think that that's, uh, uh, you know, what something like what you're talking about totally makes sense, and it, it really totally would jive with what, uh, with White wants to do. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, South Carolina is a team that, that does play pretty fast. And a lot of times the, the way that they do it is, you know, they, they really do attack off the first the first reversal of the ball. Um, and I think, you know, Florida might do that. Now, Now, to be fair, I saw something uh, from Stat Solutions that says uh, that South Carolina was uh, 224th efficiency-wise against zone and 34th against man. Very interesting, Eric. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, awesome. that's a good number. And, that's interesting. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I was kind of, this is like all work I was doing to just think about how, what type of, of different offensive concepts I want to try to integrate. And, um, you know, Frank Martin said, our guys are great. This is a direct quote from one of his press conferences after they had uh, beat Kentucky. Our guys are great when we run a set play, but then the set play runs out and they just stand around. <laughs> <laughs> wow. you know, like Frank's candor is so great, right? Um, and, and, you know, I was thinking about the stand around criticism, and that's where a lot of the Mike White doesn't run stuff like idea comes from. And it's so interesting to me because Florida's really good under Mike White against zone defenses, right? And the idea, I think, with with playing zone against Frank's teams, which Florida did, by the way, <laughs> is is it kind of forces them to uh, move the ball a little more. Yeah, that's something that uh, that I have found really interesting that, that Florida has been so good uh, of its own offensive team. And it, it is funny because, like, zones are pretty tough to, like, freestyle against. You know, like, right. there's, there's some teams that if you have the more talented team on the floor, you can kind of roll the ball out and they'll – they'll they'll score a decent amount and be pretty efficient uh against zones you you do need some kind of structure so the fact that uh that white teams have done so well uh really you know speaks to good coaching i think like yes you the, some of the players made uh, uh really executed but hey i i think you've got to give a lot of credit to the coaching for and the offensive coaching for the way that florida has been so good as his own offense team and that was something that i think is kind of um I think it came up maybe in the Texas A&M game. Don't quote me on this, but um, you know, I, I just kind of talking about how Florida like moved the ball better in that game than some of the previous games. And, and I kind of thought that it was like, Hey, this is uh, uh, this kind of just because Florida played against the team that was playing zone and kind of letting them move the ball. Because I, I don't think that Florida had a lot of great playmakers outside of, outside of Andrew Nimhart. Not a lot of guys that were comfortable passing the ball off the live dribble with one hand. I wanted Eric to, to give listeners sort of closing thoughts on on offense in terms of, you know, maybe maybe some departure from Princeton next year, I think is what Eric's hinting at. Uh, yeah, I, I would say this for just uh, any departure. And, and I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not someone who is like 
Mike White doesn't run anything. Um, <laughs> I'm guessing you're not like that if you're currently listening, but uh, I'm sure you have friends that, that are like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, hey, if you can explain to them the, the stuff that Florida was running and, and uh, it, it, what their offense kind of was and what they could look for. If, hey, you're maybe watching an old game over the summer because you don't have anything else to, to, to do. Uh, stuff you can kind of look for because, hey, uh, you know what? I think there's definitely opportunities for fair criticism towards how this team has played offensively. Uh, but I, I, I think that uh, they kind of showed the last year that uh, there was a structure. There was something there. There was a clear identity of what they're looking to do. And I think uh, looking forward with some better you know, offensive players for, for really whatever offense they, they want to try to run. Uh, I think that uh, I, I'm not super concerned. I, I'll say that. Right. Yep. I think that's a, a fair uh, and, and solid assessment of, of where things are headed uh, in the future. Remember, they just had a, a pretty good year offensively. So we'll see how much of that had to do with Curry Blackshear. Wanted to get into your, listener questions we always get a bunch of good ones when we toss it out to you guys and and you know i thought uh at sugar on a roll uh is who we'll start with a more new listener uh first time listener question says are our big men ready to shoulder the load carrie blackshear was very consistent Devarius hayes was very consistent obviously they brought things on different sides of the ball to the table i think Payne and Jatoba will have to take big steps in consistency and minutes to replicate that production. I think this is a great question, and thanks for it. That's a great question. Uh, I would say that uh, that I have some concerns for sure. I would say when you look at college basketball on the whole, uh, there have been teams with young guards that have been able to uh, really do well, and young guards that have played really well. There are young wings that have played really well, and teams have done well with young wings. Uh, it's actually pretty tough to to look at recent history and say like, hey, this is a team who got really really good production from young front courts, uh, unless it was like, hey, surefire NBA lottery pick type talent, one and done kind of guys. So uh, I think that the center position, as much as uh, everyone loves to talk small ball these days and everything like that, I think the center position is super valuable and and having big size is important. And Florida is a team that didn't have a lot of shot blocking last year that hurt them. They didn't. Uh, uh, their bigs didn't always play great in pick and roll defense that that hurt them. They they struggled to de- rebound defensively, uh, that hurt them. Uh, there's definitely some like questions when you look at the fact that they don't have a super proven option up there. That uh, uh, yeah, you've got to have a little bit of concern. But but I'll say this, you know, I, I was someone who really was uh, I was a big fan of Omar Payne uh, and thought he should have played more. Something I talked about lots, wrote about. Uh, so I'm definitely a, a pretty solid believer in him. Do I think he's like, hey, you should feel super comfortable with him, and um, uh, he's kind of your unquestioned starter? Like, no, I, I definitely can't say that. But I thought he played really well as a freshman. And uh, Jason Chobo at the end of the year, um, I was pretty critical of him early, just because I just didn't think, didn't really think he was ready. But hey, at the end of the season, he showed that despite the fact he doesn't have the quickest feet, that he was able to uh, really look good in some some pick and roll defense. He showed some really good touch on the inside. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely some stuff to like, but I, I think you've got to have a little bit of concern right now. Yeah. Look, um, I think we spent so much time talking about what Kerry Blackshear wasn't that, that we kind of lost track of what he is and what he was, which was a guy who, who offered 13 points and eight a night was an all sec player. As it turned out, just not an all American, right? Second team, all sec. And, uh, certainly was capable of being the fulcrum of the offense. 
points. And, and I think, you know, that was definitely when we wanted to criticize the coaching staff, you know, I think we, we talked about how they probably got the offense wrong from the beginning. Not probably, I think they did. And, and I think they admitted that by adjusting, uh, but Things were better when Kerry Blackshear was the fulcrum of the offense, uh, the sort of the sun around which the offense orbited. We saw how well that was working at the end of the year with, with Florida up on a very hot Kentucky team by 20-something points when Blackshear got hurt. So uh, do they replicate any of that offensively? No, I don't think they do, Eric. You know, I think it's going to be garbage effort points. Uh, for the most point, part, and some lob action, maybe uh, some better pick-and-roll offense with Omar Payne. Jason Jatobo, I think, is the guy on the roster right now with the highest you know, pure offensive upside. Um, maybe you know, be interested to see if Eric agrees with that uh, idea. But I do think, I think Florida could upgrade defensively um, from, from Kerry Blackshear and just the, the limited way that he is athletically to, to kind of pain and, and uh, if Castleton is given a waiver and, and you know, looking at, at just what they're going to have on the defensive side of the ball. Jason Jatobo is a kind of different kind of defender, but, but was much better than I thought. Uh, so, you know, room for growth there. Uh, hey, I'll listen to the argument for him is the best uh the best offensive option at the at center right now. Like I, I think the Castleton, if he if he plays, um, his ability to put the ball on the floor a few times, like if he kind of catches the ball on on the short roll and can take two dribbles to finish, yeah. uh, that's something you're not going to see from Jatobo. But uh, Jatobo had really nice touch on on hook shots, and uh, Castleton uh, did as well in his short sample size and was able to do it with both hands. But also, uh, he doesn't have those kind of like wide shoulders. Like you look at like Jason Jatobo putting up a hook shot. Uh, over his, you know, if his left shoulder is into the defender and he's using his right hand to put up the hook shot, uh, his, he's just so wide that a shot blocker has no chance at challenging that. And uh, Castleton doesn't have those super wide shoulders. Uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what their standing reaches would be, um, but uh, maybe, maybe similar. But uh, yeah, I, I think Jatobo just had a really great touch there. And that's something that like, hey, uh, is harder than you think. Look at Isaiah Stokes. He, he never, he never had, the, yeah. Uh, you, you know, look at the, yeah, the way that some Florida bigs have had struggles finishing like that or, or catching the ball. Uh, Jatobo's done those things. So, hey, uh, he, he could very well be the best offensive option. But, yeah, great great question about the front court. Sarah in Tampa, I refuse to get Twitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my question is this. Why do young big men struggle so much with pick-and-roll defense? I know you are both high school coaches. What do you think? factors into that eric another I think it, I, another another great question yeah I, I mean the answer is simple i would say it's a bigger big bigger people have tougher times moving laterally and uh, when it comes to pick and roll defense when you're guarding the screener it's it's all about lateral movement whether yeah. it's whether you're hedging whether you're switching uh i guess to a lesser extent if you're playing drop coverage but uh you don't see that as uh, super prevalent in college yet, though I think you're going to soon because it's the most prevalent in the NBA. Uh, yeah, it's it's so much about uh, about being able to move your feet laterally and to be able to change directions quickly. Like like think about these small six foot one guards uh, coming downhill and and how quickly they can cross over from side to side. Uh, if you're a, if you're guarding the screener, uh, oftentimes you're going to be able you're going to need to be able to mirror that, and that's just so tough for big players to do. So uh, that's that's my answer. 
Yeah, speed of game would be the only thing I'd add. You know, like, yeah, it's hard to move laterally, and also things are just so much faster. So, like, you know, how many times last year did we see Omar Payne almost get a block on a layup? Mm. I think, I mean, I, you know, I, there's, like, I could run a sequence of clips in my mind on the number of times I think that happened, where really what happened was Payne got beat on the, on the pick and roll. But, you know, if he reads it just a little faster, he doesn't. You know, uh, you know, you grow. You you certainly learn. Um, not everybody defends like Kavarius Hayes as a freshman, right? <laughs> uh, good question. Gatorbait08, assuming Castleton is eligible, what does that do to the minutes at center? Will the staff play bigger lineups with Payne and Castleton in at the four and maybe Jatobo at the five or even lineups of Castleton and Payne on the floor together. I don't think that they're going to play Castleton and Payne on the floor together much at all. Uh, it would be interesting. Certainly with, they, they were willing to roll out uh, Dante Bassett and Blackshear or Dante Bassett and Payne at times, Eric, Eric did a bunch of work on rotations. So you know, I do think that there's possibility there. I, I doubt we'd see like a Castleton pain. I'm not sure necessarily what that accomplishes, though. Maybe Eric has a different take. Uh, here's my take here. If you were to take the three centers, let's assume Castleton is eligible for the sake of conversation. And then Keontae Johnson and Anthony Deruji, my official power ranking of who the best players of that group are is Keontae Johnson is the best player uh, Anthony Derugi, I think, is the second best player. <laughs> and then we can argue the order of the three centers. But I think it's Keontae Johnson is the best player and Anthony Derugi are the best player. And I think you obviously want to get as many minutes for those guys as, as possible. And that's going to be tough for Derugi at times. But uh, when you can just uh, uh, think about the fact that for 40 minutes, you could have Keontae Johnson and Anthony Derugi sharing minutes at the four um, with hopefully Keontae Johnson gets some of the three, so Drew can play a little bit more. But yeah, I, I just see when you've got those two guys that could really thrive for 40 minutes at the power forward spot, I just don't really see a scenario where it's a better option to go two of the centers on at the same time. That's kind of my take. Like, it, it's not that I think, like, I do think that the, that it, it would be the Gators would be capable of playing uh, Castleton at the four and, and Omar Payne at the five. and uh, and doing something with that, I think Castleton passes the ball well, shows some uh, shows some some skill passing uh, from the, uh, kind of the short roll or the high post. I, I think he's gonna maybe be able to stretch it out a little bit when his feet are set. Uh, but yeah, I just uh, yeah, I don't know why you'd want to take take one of Keontae Johnson or Anthony Drew off the four off the floor at the four. So uh, that's kind of the reason why I don't think it'll happen much, if at all. Yeah, I have uh, something to add, but I think a good way to add it is to do the next listener question, Eric which is from Ryan Big. Any insight to why Payne is projected for so few minutes and stats on Bart Torvik? I like that our, our uh, listeners are, are Bart Torviking. How high, do you think Florida, <laughs> oh, yeah. how high do you think Florida would be projected if he had more stats? Any truth to the possibility of small ball five with Daruji is the best lineup projection-wise. So that came from either me or three-man weave. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I still think that, that Eric, because of what Eric said, I, I really do think, I mean, Anthony Drugy was an all-conference player. I don't think people like, it's just kind of forgotten about that, that Florida's two sit-one transfers last year were both all-conference guys and in like decent leagues. Um, and Anthony Drugy, I think playing some center is something that's going to happen. 
because I think you can play your best five on the floor. And I also think, uh, while I wonder a little bit about Tyree Appleby and switches, which is a whole different conversation, you know, I think if you play Daruji, you really get that switchability that, that White and uh, Jordan Mincy in particular really value. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would like to see it at times. I'm not someone who loves small ball as much as uh, – I mean, it's just so it's so popular. They're not going right to do like, it all the time. They're not like going to like once again, like if 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 one of us just went on and, and tweeted, uh, Florida should start Keontae Johnson at the five. People would be like, yes, let's do it all in. Like if it was like let's do, <laughs> like like let's play, uh, let's play Appleby, Lock, Man, Scotty Lewis at the four, Keontae Johnson at the five. Uh, people would like eat it up. People would love it. I but uh, I, I'm definitely not in the same same mindset. And because uh, I think that rim protection matters, I think that yeah. the ability to have big men setting screens. Um, either on the ball or off the ball matters. I think rebounding is incredibly undervalued. Uh, people often ask me, like, analytically, what do I think is, like, undervalued in basketball? I, I think rebounding should be talked about the same way that, like, three-point shooting is talked about. But that, that's just me. And uh, I agree uh, with yeah, you. I just think that uh, – so I'm, I'm usually not super, super into, like, playing small ball, but uh, I, I think uh, when you've got Keontae Johnson, who's a really good rebounder, uh, Scotty Lewis, who's a good – rebounder and Druji was a good rebounder uh, you could get away with that and and Drugi's vertical leap makes him is going to make him a solid rim protector uh maybe not an excellent rim protector because he might get blown through by powerful wings at times but uh hey I, I i think it could work and i think it could be really interesting so uh i i think that they'll try it for sure and uh just go like hey let's switch everything uh i didn't mention samson retensive in that mix or Niels Lane, but those are other guys with length that you could just put out like super right. long lineups. And uh, uh, yeah, I think it would be effective, especially in some of these other matchups, because there are other teams that play small ball that Florida is going to see. And I think that they'll be able to play small ball uh, while still being longer and more athletic than a lot of the other teams, small ball. So, uh, so why not? Yeah. I guess the only word I would take issue with in Ryan's question was that that's the best lineup. And I don't know if it's the mm-hmm. best lineup, but I think, I think Anthony Deruji will play some center. I've said that. Uh, and I think that that's something that they'll use for a few minutes every game. And it's a really nice wrinkle to have. It's, a, it's just another tool for the toolkit. Um, Gator Greg, 11. At Gator Greg SEC asks, does Trey Mann have a legitimate shot at being the starting point guard? Oh, you want to take that one first? I, I'm interested in your... <laughs> no. Okay. That's my, my answer is no. Um, I think I think Trey Mann has a legitimate shot at being the starting two guard. You know, and and I also think Mike White changes his starting lineups enough to where Trey Mann will start some games. I think the best. Do I need like it's not even hot? I don't want to call it a hot take. Give me give my def, I'll just call it my definitive Trey Mann take is that he's going to be a contender for SEC Six Man of the Year, and that that is the best role for him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for me to imagine him. It's still tough for me to imagine him starting starting a lot, just because he's someone who needs the ball in his hands, and and so does Appleby. And I think that Appleby is better right now uh, than he is. So, and, and I also think, uh, yeah, if you've got a guy like Tyree Appleby with the ball in his hands, and you're also probably going to want Deontay Johnson to have the ball in his hands lots, having one of or you per, quite could very well be the best spot up shooter in college basketball next year, Noah Locke. Uh, having him start makes a lot of sense, even if uh, even if man is like like let's say man is like the for lack of a better term 
better player next year. Man makes a huge leap. Uh, it still is probably going to work best for him coming off the bench. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's something that I appreciate about the way that, that white coaches is it's not like, uh, it's not like, Hey, you know, you're a starter or you're in my doghouse. Like he's does, he doesn't really look at those things. He subs quickly. Uh, it just doesn't matter to him much. So uh, yeah, I, I do. I really think that, yeah, he's just going to be best used off the bench and it's definitely tough for me to imagine any scenario in which uh, Tyree Appleby does not start. Yep. I agree with that. Uh, Zach Ward, longtime listener, which freshman sees more minutes for Sensev or Lane? Uh, let's start with that. He has two questions. Uh, I said, uh, I said Rusensev, uh, just because I think he's the better player, but I also think that's uh, something that I've, you know, definitely changed a little bit from, from the way you've talked about him, Neil, and, and doing a little bit more research is, uh, the one thing Lane has is, is probably the most unique skill set, just as like someone at his size who can be a lockdown defender. Um, you know, you could say like, yeah, Scotty Lewis. Uh, and Lane would be the other guy, but Lane would offer a little bit more ball handling, I would say, than, than Lewis does, uh, which maybe is correct or, or maybe incorrect, but that's my feel right now. Uh, so versus, uh, you know, with Rusensev, it's it's going to be like, hey, it's going to be a little bit tougher for him with uh, playing by, playing with uh, trying to get minutes from, from Scotty Lewis and, and Keontae Johnson. But uh, I think Rusensev is, is the better player, so, so I'm going to say Rusensev. All right. Uh, I think it's going to be Lane because I think he's better defensively. Um, and I, I do. I think, like, look, Lane isn't going to shoot 40% from three-point range like Scotty Lewis ended up doing as a freshman, right? And I'm loving the Instagram videos where, like, Lewis is just burying long jumpers in people's eye. Like, I don't understand why his shot goes in as much as it does, but I'm not going to complain about that. Um, I think Scotty is enjoying seeing it go in so much because his, his Insta captions are pretty funny. They're like, oh, remember when people said Scotty couldn't shoot? Like, I love that he takes that stuff personally. It's fun. Um, Lane is, you know, I, I sent Eric some videos. Um, he seems like a player who's selfless and committed to winning. That's usually a good recipe for getting. I'm not saying that Resensev isn't. I, I'm just saying. Skill set wise, that's usually defense, and that kind of mentality is usually a way to get on the floor a lot as a freshman. Um, I think he'll play slightly more minutes because of his defensive upside. I do think he's got all SEC defense type capability uh, in his DNA. Um, I don't know enough about him offensively, although I think it's a little better than than advertised. Uh, Zach, um, you know, certainly. Good program pedigree. I'm interested to see him healthy. Uh, he was not healthy as a senior. I think that kind of hurt the perception of him. Uh, you know, when he committed to Florida, it was a much bigger deal than it was by the time he faxed his letter of intent. And I think a lot of that had to do with injuries. Uh, I'm very high on on Neil's lane. So this doesn't happen too often where we have a disagreement that there's just like a very clear, like, one person is going to be right. So we'll, we'll have to actually take a, we'll have to <laughs> revisit this. And, and, and I'm really not like married to my take. I'm not like, Oh, I mean, let's, let's see if I can pin Neil here. Cause I, I, I know I'm going to be, I'm really not. And Hey, I, I'm, I'm, if one of them, uh, if Lane is the, the better guy, Hey, I'm, I'm stoked to see him on the floor more than right on. Uh, but yeah, we don't have this happen too often, Neil, where we disagree. And it's just like, like we will have a definitive answer to that question. Who plays more? So, uh, yeah. so Zach, you might have to remind us in a, if we forget to, uh, to mention it in, in a, 
in in several months or uh, some number of months when uh, when the season happens uh it, it, we'll see who plays more and someone can uh, someone can remind us uh and uh, yeah we can we can look back at this offseason conversation zach's second question does the front court and we've kind of answered this already but i like the way zach put it does the front court of Payne, jatobo and osifo scare you as much as it does me when you talk about this team's upside <laughs> I, it's I, it's the big question mark on the basketball team, right? Yeah, I, I would say it does not cross the threshold into like scared for me. That I, I would say that's kind of my like reaction. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's it, it's the big question mark on the basketball. And again, you know, I I'm not patting myself on the back, Eric. I guess I kind of am. Right? Like, look, we don't. I guess we didn't really appreciate Kerry Blackshear because he wasn't everything we hoped he would be, but. He was really good. And the year before, they had Kavarius Hayes, who was really good. And we certainly didn't appreciate Kavarius Hayes, the collective we, not, not necessarily this podcast. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, none of those guys are proven like Blackshear or Hayes. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. <laughs> that's, such, that's such like modern basketball, like the way that fans react is like everyone is – incredible or they're trash that's just kind of the like you look at any basketball conversation on twitter it's like hey uh, player x is trash or player x is amazing and, <laughs> and underrated so that's kind of the way that, that people you know, consume basketball these days and that definitely was the way that carrie blackshear was consumed uh something i didn't mention earlier uh just talking uh i forget who, who mentioned it but just uh about blackshear's consistency uh it's just crazy because obviously he had all these games where he was in super foul trouble but you look at his like stat lines it just didn't seem to matter it was just like 13 and 8 like didn't matter if he was in foul trouble nine double doubles he he really just he didn't bring that consistency and uh uh yeah it's that's it's something that uh yeah was was i I will say definitely underappreciated by me i will hold that one i was someone really hard on him eight double doubles uh, (laughs) (laughs) and who knows how many it could have been without uh with a couple foul calls the other way yeah, and it would have been nine had he not rolled his leg in the mm. Kentucky game. He was cruising towards one on senior day. Um, he just was. Uh, and Florida was cruising to a huge win, by the way, which they would have won comfortably had had Kerry not left the game. That's not even a hot take. It's a fact. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, there's just not a chance that Nick Richards goes off like he does if Kerry's on the floor. Um you know, and but I think the game at Rupp also proved that. Like they, they really needed to hammer away when Blackshear wasn't out there. It was just I think it just had to do with Carey's body uh, defensively. Justin Fortner asked a question that Justin asked great questions, and this is one that I think Eric and I are both going to disagree with. But I'm interested on it, on Eric's take. How would you rank SEC coaches in recruiting right now? Especially with the way Alabama, UT, and Arkansas have caught UF in recruiting lately. First, I don't think they have caught UF in recruiting lately. I think it has more to do with roster space uh, than it does with like missing on your big targets. Uh, you know, I think Florida more or less had four huge targets they wanted in 2021, and they got two of them. Um, and then the one of them, you know, I think losing Scotty Barnes to FSU stinks. Uh, we said it on the show, right, Eric? But that that was rough. Mm. Um, you know, but also something that's happening. I mean, Florida state has been the better program the last couple of years. Uh, uh-huh. so, you know, that happens. And then I forget who the other kid was, uh, uh, the kid from Las Vegas, Julian Strother, you know, 
certainly I think Florida really would have liked to have him in the class. And, you know, they go toe-to-toe with Gonzaga, two hats on the table at the end, not no three hats. So, you know, what can you do? Um, they, they had him on campus multiple times, and they were in the fight. Uh, you know, you could include Kate Cunningham in, in that group, obviously, as a big target, but uh, he went to the family spot, but Florida was in a better position than any of the programs that Justin mentioned for, for those guys. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe Tennessee has caught Florida um, in recruiting a little bit, uh, but again, I still think a lot of it has to do with the roster space and just Tennessee having to overhaul its roster. Uh, yeah, like my, my gut answer is, is Tennessee. Uh, just obviously when you look at yeah. the, the stars next to the names of the guys they've pulled in and the ranking. Right. Uh, and uh, so that's But not all three. Sense. Not all three. No. And uh, yeah, not all three for sure. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this too. I just don't want to like penalize Florida or any, any team, um, any program, but particularly Florida for saying, uh, hey, we want to go after some guys that we're like, we're not just going to hunt five star one and dones because we want to build a program here. And we've decided that that's not necessarily the way we want to rec- recruit. Like, again, um, I, I think Niels Lane and Samson Rusensev is, is just an awesome two, uh, two high school recruits to come in. Uh, and I think that they're probably going to be there for multiple seasons. And I think that that's how you win in college basketball. So I, I rank the like, I really love that combination of players in, in the way that I look at classes but obviously the recruiting rankings are not going to make that look like the sexiest recruiting class. So, uh, so again, like I, I just don't want to like punish Florida for that and say that some other team has caught it because they're um, getting, you know, five-star talent that might not necessarily fit. Like, I mean, uh, Tennessee has had some guys last couple of years that are uh, since their recruiting really picked up that um, have not played up to the billing just because the fit hasn't been right. So, um, so I'm going to say we need to see how the, how fit really works with some of these guys. Um, but I will say this, when you factor in fit, I think that, I, I think that it, like, if you look at these classes, um, I look at who Alabama's brought in and I could say like, Hey, I, I think that's really going to work with what Oates wants to do. And I think Alabama is going to be very good. And I think we might look back at, uh, the recruiting that Alabama is doing and say like, Hey, um, at the time it wasn't quite, uh, it wasn't quite what like Tennessee was doing, but, uh, but it was perfect for what they, what they needed and, and what they were trying to build. And, uh, Muscleman, I don't know. He's, you know, guys are just going to all transfer out before they get to play for, he's just going to, he's going to transfer, recruit transfers yeah. over them, put up some cringy uh, pictures on Twitter, posing. Like, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, he's going to, yeah. The, the next one's going to be like Ott Elmore facing up Joe, Joe Johnson in the TBT. That'll be the next recruiting pitch for a uh, photo from, from Arkansas. So it is uh, interesting yeah. that, that Moses Moody stayed home. Um, and, and so I guess I should have included Moses Moody and like, cause that was a direct head to head. Um, and you know, you know, and the Moody family really liked their visit to Florida, having spoke with them a little bit. Um, so, you know, look, if Moses Moody ends up playing for Florida and sometime in the next four years, there's a hot take. Oh. <laughs> like, don't be stunned. Right. Just knowing the way that that the must machine sometimes works like, or maybe Moses plays immediately in Arkansas and is, is the hometown hero cave on Allen was always supposed to be, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, I, I think Rick Barnes is, is recruiting really well that they've, they've been hot up there. Uh, and you know, I, I would put them like, I still think Florida staff is a, he asked for rankings. I think Florida has a top five staff recruiting wise 
in the league. Uh, I think Tennessee does. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens and what the shakeout is from the notice of allegations at LSU and the notice of allegations at Auburn. Uh, what happens with those staffs? Um, you know, how that impacts recruiting. I think it's already impacted Auburn's recruiting a little bit. Um, LSU mostly rolling right along, but we'll see how long uh, that's a thing. And then, you know, I think the other key thing to watch is, is we're not going to get to recruiting on this show because it's too long now. We're, but what Eric and I will do is regroup and, and record a recruiting show. And we'll talk about how, like, Florida has some big names on their 2021-2022 list that could, like, you know, change the perception of that. I would also add that Florida signed, like, the top JUCO player in the country in Osaya, Sifo, one or two, depending on the service you look at. So, you know, it's not like they're missing out on, on big names. It's just the way that the rankings treat the JUCO player and things of that nature. A guy that we weren't particularly even that high on, uh, I know Eric and I, but rankings liked him. Yeah, it's it, like as much as I've been kind of critical of, of that take, uh, I'm not like, uh, again, that's something that in the scheme of recruiting rankings and just even perception, uh, basketball is not at the place where, even though I, I really think that's going to change. And, and you're already seeing it now with, uh, with like L. Ellis, who's going to Louisville, Florida, tried to get in on. Um, there's a lot of these guys that are that are JUCO players that are going high major and are going to be impact players, uh, and I, I think it's going to become more of a important part of recruiting is is junior college recruiting. Um, but yeah, right now it's it's not yeah it's not super sexy and it's not going to get people super excited. But um, I think that that's going to be a great way to build a program with instantly eligible guys who can uh, yeah. come in as, with a little bit of experience. So um, so it's interesting because like as much as I like don't love the Osifo take necessarily and and i'd be happily proven wrong we'll, we'll see in the future um i like that florida did it if that makes sense like i i'm glad that they are looking th- at building that way and and we're not scared of taking a junior college player even though uh a lot of the casual fans are not going to look at that and say like hey that's not a five star four star or something like that and they still uh were bold enough to to do what they uh thought was best even if it wasn't uh uh the cooler trendy pickup so so i do i do respect that yeah, I mean, as a guy that that Al Pinkins, who has a really great reputation for for developing big men, wanted personally, wanted him on campus, and so that's who they took over over the guy I think Eric and I would have taken in, in PJ Hall, a kid from Dorman who really wanted to go to Florida. Uh, bottom line, <laughs> so you know, and and if PJ Hall had signed, Florida's recruiting ranking would have been much higher, and then maybe Justin's not even really asking that question. So, you know, I think you, you kind of evaluate uh, those things that way. And then you also have to look at, you know, Kawasi Reeves is already on board in 2021 and, and it's going to be a five-star player. So I think, uh, and I just read an article this week about, uh, I saw both a tweet from Eric Bossy and then a, another article uh, in Legion Hoops that was talking about, you know, Reeves and, and the five-star trajectory that he's on and, and you know, some people think he might even be a top twenty-five player by the by the end. <laughs> what, what he was doing this last weekend was just comical. Uh, I forget what He's the tournament good. was, but uh, it, like, I, I almost didn't like it just because it was like like this was like AAU ball at its finest, where it was like uh, Kawasi Reeves had the ball carrying up the floor, and everyone on both sides, both teams knew he was he was going to put it up. 
And uh, it was just isolation ball all the time for Kwasi Reeves Jr. And, uh, uh, but he hit some just ridiculous shots, <laughs> like just pulling up in guys' faces. He's got just, just great shake to his game. And he's got just such great balance. Like uh, he can just get exploding side to side with just a really good first step. And uh, you just get, and then suddenly things slow down for him. He gets his feet underneath him and he gets really balanced. And that's just uh, what makes him really disciplined shooter. So anyways, it was just like super fun to watch, even though it was a little bit of just like, like every, every stereotype you have of like AAU basketball, where it's just like <laughs> a star player going that's going to go to work while everyone else watches. Uh, there was definitely some of that. Uh, but hey, like it would have been one thing if that was happening and he was like bricking jumpers, but he was just like drilling them from deep with defenders in his face. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty amazing. His Twitter feed, Kwasi Ju- Reeves Jr.'s Twitter feed uh, has has a host of these type clips in case anybody's interested in them. They're They're really good and... He's a guy that's kind of benefited from something that that Chandler Parsons used to talk about, which was I'm not they're not similar players, but it, Parsons had kind of handle and ability for someone his size because of a late growth spurt, right? And I think like Kwasi Reeves Jr. is a guy who like kind of came up a little smaller, and so he learned to be fluid and kind of use his body to create space, and now he's big and he can still do it. Oh yeah, well he was someone who came on the scene kind of recruiting wise when Florida first offered him and he was like six foot two and was known as right. the best shooter in the class. And it was like, okay, well here's a guy who's six foot two, combo guard, and uh, and he can shoot the ball really well. And that's that's cool, that's interesting. Is like and, and I remember I think I might have said this or wrote this. We were like, like Noah hey, Locke. Here's yeah, here's the next <laughs> Noah Locke, here's the Noah Locke replacement. And then it's like, you know, fast forward a year later and he's just dunking on people's heads and it's just like, wait, what is this the same? Is this the same player? And that's, and I mean, and that's why me and Neil say that he's going to be a five stars because he's, um, he's someone who is the best shooter in the draft or sorry, in the draft, um, in the, uh, in the draft, in the class, in the recruiting class. And, uh, uh, and he's also now, you know, six, five, six, six, and one of the most athletic players and most fluid players. So it's like when you can shoot the ball and you've got size and you are, athletic uh it's just like like there's been far worse players that have been called five stars that have achieved five star rankings I'll tell you that much yeah no i mean it's it's gonna be like you know you look at a guy that i think is gonna be sensational is uh bj boston right and mm. and and you know reeves profiles like that but like is stronger <laughs> uh, you know his body is bigger uh he's not wiry in the in the same way uh and and so like you know, certainly a huge, a big time recruit. Uh, so a really long question that kind of sets up the next podcast. Well, I think um, where we will dive into some of uh, Florida's targets that, that look to join Kawasi and, and uh, that, that could build the program moving forward into 2022, or they also have a, a delicious list of, of players. Eric wrote a piece about that at Gator country. Check it out. Um, we will talk to you guys uh, very soon. What we might do, depending on you know how much uh, time Eric has, is is drop a couple this week so we can get back to recruiting. But but we'll talk about it uh, off air and and get back to you. Thanks for listening.